Well, Paul, when we were in uh, earlier this morning, uh, there was both live and replays of plenty of grass court tournaments being played around the world. And not about you, but it has a calming and therapeutic effect seeing everyone playing on the grass, doesn't it? Oh, no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'll tell you, because we had a discussion when the French Open was on, didn't like the clay at night time. No, no, it didn't have the aesthetic look that it normally has. But I'll tell you what, someone who is also calming and uh, therapeutic is our next guest, Leo Schlenk. G'day, Leo, how are you? Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. You're looking forward to Wimbledon. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, one of the favourite uh, times of the year on the sporting calendar for me. And uh, uh, Queen's and, um, and also the European gra uh, grass court events now. A mm. um, lot more of them than there ever used to be. Uh, but uh, particularly... Queens and this week uh, qualifying, it's the heralds the start uh, really of the um, the grass court season in Britain. Even though there's been a couple of events already, but it's a fantastic time of the year. Mm. Leo, I um, I'm a little bit sad about it because I was looking forward to this Wimbledon, always thinking that it would be the Ash Barty defence. But as we get closer, it sort of becomes uh, more of a reality that we're not going to see her again. Well, that's right, um, and it's um, you know. It's, it's really weird to think that it's almost a year on since um, the injury concerns she had, not concerns, the reality that she had that maybe she wasn't even going to get to play Wimbledon last year and uh, what a remarkable job she did. And, yeah, the, the absence of Ash Barty now is really uh, sheeting home and um, you look at qualifying um, even yesterday on the, how th quickly things change. Um, you know, it didn't seem that long ago that we'd have between... 12 or 15 players in qualifying each year on, on the men's side alone. Um, last night we had four going into qualifying. Um, uh, the good news is that three of them won. But, um, yeah, we should ordinarily be, would have been talking about um, Ash Barty going into Wimbledon as the defending champion, as the reigning Australian Open champion, and probably still ranked world number one. Um, but this year, as we know, is going to be a vastly different Wimbledon. And uh, what also may be differently, I was reading over the weekend, you talk about qualifying at Roehampton, isn't it? But I think Wimbledon has actually purchased a golf club uh, next to where the grounds are and uh, with a long-term view to having all the qualifying at, uh, at Wimbledon as well. So uh, it's certainly expanding, not <laughs> contracting. It is. It's, um, so right across the road from uh, Wimbledon, uh, separated by Church Road, is um, a golf course and it's got a big lake and athletics mm. um, centre in there as well. Um, and Wimbledon has bought that with a long-term view to developing their site and um, playing, uh, as you say, qualifying there. At the moment, it's played at the Bank of Roehampton Courts, which is uh, about 15 minutes away um, in good traffic. Um, and um, it, it's when I first went, the courts are quite uh, good now. I wouldn't say amazing, uh, but in back in the day, they were like corrugated iron. Mm. They were, um, because it, it's um, essentially tennis courts, some of them that were just laid out on a cricket, a cricket field. Um, and it's a beautiful place to cr uh, play cricket. Uh, not so great for, uh, for tennis. And um, they're gonna, it's now become um, the, one of their centres of excellence where it's a training situation. And um, they'll move all of that in years to come across to Wimbledon itself and that um, land across the, the road, which generally is used for um, car parking and um, the golf um, club is, is shut down during Wimbledon. That'll all be used for tennis and uh, it's going to be an amazing setup mm -hmm. when they, they finish it. It's, um, you know, Wimbledon itself, the, the main site um, compared to, say, the Australian Open uh, footprint um, is quite small. But um, when this is done, they'll have by far the biggest and it'll be incredible. Leo, uh, we're speaking about the women now. We may as well have a look at the market for Wimbledon and it's... Uh very similar to what we saw 
when we got to the French Open. Iga Schwantek is the favourite at $2.40. She was shorter in France. But then the big gap, uh, Coco Goff, $10. Ons Hubert, who won a tournament on the weekend when Belinda Bencic had to retire. She's 11. Simona Halep, 13. Then we're down to Serena Williams at 17. Then we've got this group of players at 21. Carolina Pliskova, Garbini Muguruza, Belinda Bencic, Maria Sakkari, Paula Bedosa and Emma Raducanu. Now, Iga Schwantak has had an injury. It looks as though she'll be right to go. Does she deserve to be $2.40 and then that gap down to, down to $10 with Corey Goff? Yeah, based on um, 2022 form, yes, but then uh, factor in the grass court uncertainty and the injury, which I, I, I suspect is precautionary more than anything, uh, probably no, but that, yeah, that's a massive gap and, and it's very much a, a market of value if you have any kind of doubt about Iga. Um, she's going so well at the moment, um, there probably shouldn't be a doubt, but I guess with grass, until the players actually go there and do it on grass, you you always wonder. So Eastbourne this week is going to be really interesting. Ange um, Jabeur winning uh, in Berlin, um, that sort of really put her in the frame uh, she's up to world number three now, but that was a match where Belinda Bencic retired. Um, we got on the uh, Nottingham and Birmingham with, with uh, Beatrice um, Haddad. Uh, Maya won both of those events leading in. That was also another retirement. Um, Serena Williams is back as a wild card. Who knows what goes on there with her? She plays doubles this week with Ons Jabeur and Eastbourne. Uh, there's so much uncertainty around the women's market. Um, uh, a player I was thinking about uh, last night was Pliskova in terms of uh, where is she in all of this and remember the great run she had last year and the fact she went three sets uh, with Ash. Uh, so, you know, the, anything could happen with her. If she, she strikes form and gets hot, um, she's a player certainly with, um, with good appeal in the market. And also the player that has turned into a real enigma recently um, is uh, Gabin Muguruza. Um, she's won at Wimbledon. She's um, a multiple Grand Slam champion. And there are players like Petra Kudova. Is there one more uh, Wimbledon left for, for Petra? Um, for me, it's like th this field is wide open if you take out um, Eager, which is a big ask in itself. And in terms of uh, withdrawals, before we get to the men's side of things, I mean, no great surprises, Osaka and Eugenie Bouchard, when it's all said and done, I mean, she's not a realistic chance of winning and she had to protect some ranking points. Um, either of those surprise you as withdrawals? No, well, with um, Osaka, it was Achilles. And as soon as um, it was confirmed that there'd be no rankings points there, um, that pretty much, I think, closed the door for her. Um, and she we'd seen her struggles. And Bouchard, um, you know, she, it's been a constant struggle ever since she hit the heights. So um, that, that won't impact too much. I mean, um, if Naomi went there, um, even though her best form is on hard court, she'd certainly be a player um, that would be commanding attention, but as it is right now, um, it's it's pretty much going to be the best of the um, field they could assemble with the one for us cons conspicuous um, mm. absence of um, Ash Barty. Mm. And Leo, on the women's side of the draw, I see one of the Russian tennis players that's playing doubles, whose name I can't pronounce, has changed nationalities, is now going to be playing under the Georgian flag. Yeah, so a, a loophole there that will... Uh, be uh, well and truly um, examined by uh, all the media attending, uh, given the, the different feel this will have for people who are really into rankings points. Um, when when they bounce the ball at Wimbledon for the first time, no one's going to be worried about rankings points. Um, it's just going to be, from a spectator point of view I'm talking, um, 
it's just going to be play on and people are going to go there and enjoy it and it's going to be a little bit like Royal Ascot, um, you know, the large crowds back, etc. A lot of those restrictions are removed and um, and will people miss Daniel Medvedev um, given the way that he's played the last two, two tournaments? Maybe not. Um, Sabalenka, players like that, sure, that they're, they're, they're going to be... Fan favourites will be missed by certain people, but once the tournament is underway, it's still going to be Wimbledon. And on the men's side of things, I see Dominic uh, Team has uh, withdrawn. Um, I don't say it's been a fall from grace because, of course, he's been injured, but, geez, um, for someone who is so high up, it must be incredibly frustrating for him to find himself where he is now. Yeah, that wrist problem he's had um, it just has been ongoing. And even when he came back um, this year, he uh, there was one match he played um, against Andy Murray, and um, Andy sort of went out of his way said, "Listen, don't give up here because this is going to be a lot of setbacks, even you, though you're on the comeback trail." And um, he was the one guy that we looked at when he won the U.S. Open. We thought maybe he's going to be you know, take his place now and be cemented in the top five, and that's where his ranking had been, or seemingly for a long, long time. And this is really cruel because we see players constantly with so much talent who effectively throw it away because they don't work hard enough. This guy is overworked and um, it's the cruelest thing of all because um, he's had knee problems and this wrist problem that he's got um, is really persistent and once it gets there, um, it's extremely difficult and I, I just hope for him because he deserves it, he, he's really put everything on the line uh, that he can come back and, some, and play some really uh, you know, great tennis as well. Leo, market-wise for the men, Novak Djokovic, $1.80 favourite. Matteo Berrettini's at 7 Rafael Nadal, 8 Carlos Alcaraz, $10. Herbert Herkaz, who's had some success in Huller in Germany over the weekend, 15 Felix Auger-Alassim, $17. Nick Kyrgios is at 19 Marin Cilic, 21 And then it's a big gap down to $41. And leading that player, the players at that price is Stefano Sitsipas? I thought mm. Sitsipas would have been shorter than $41. He played really well. Uh, yeah, and he's, he's the type of player who, who could come to Wimbledon and really turn it on. And he, he played really well in that loss to Kyrgios in Germany. And um, that goes to show how well Nick Kyrgios is playing at the moment. Um, and Herchaz, who, who won that tournament, um, he's, a, he's a hell of a player on grass. And we saw last year when he, he made the semifinals at Wimbledon, um, and I'd imagine right now that if Djokovic is looking at the rest of the field and he'll be interested to see how Rafa is actually moving now he's committed to play Wimbledon. Um, he hasn't played there for three years, um, but he's a, a dual champion. How he goes uh, in practice, he's got a couple of exhibitions lined up. Um, it would be interesting to see how he gets through those. But um, Herchaz, he's a hell of a player, and so is Mario Berentini. He's won something like um, 20 of his last 21 matches on grass. Um, he's won... He's defended Queens, and over the the history we've seen um, since the turn of this century, anyway, that only the very best players are able to go back and defend Queens or win it multiple times. And Andy Murray's done it, Leighton Hewitt's done it, Andy Roddick, who was a, almost a fixture in Wimbledon finals, has done it. So, for Berentini to recover from that hand surgery that he had and come back and and win this event, that really bodes well for Wimbledon. Given that um, you know he was last year, he was just stunning at Wimbledon. Um, so. I would say for Djokovic right now, he's thinking about A, himself, um, but B, he's looking at Nadal's fitness and then he's looking at uh, Herchash and Berentini. I'm interested in your comments on Herchash because I was going to ask you about him. He's a really impressive uh, looking player, which I suppose brings us to the next point. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, who ran him close in Haller. I mean, is Nick fit enough to win Wimbledon uh, or, or is that going to be the issue, do you think? 
It, it could be an issue if they get a day like they had for uh, Royal Ascot on Friday mm-hmm. when it's 31 degrees and it, it does become really sapping. Um, and it's, you know, it's 31 degrees uh, plus humidity. Um, but if ever there's a place where Nick can um, have the benefit of a fast surface, like most of those qualifying matches at Roehampton last night were about an average of an hour in the straight sets early matches when the courts are a bit greasy. But uh, for, for Nick, Wimbledon is the perfect place where fitness... Um, is not as big a factor as, say, it is at the US Open, the French Open or Australia in the summer. Um, he can get by on that. And I would say right now he's probably in the best form of his career. Um, mm. But he, he needs a good draw. And if he gets... Well, the seed that he gets if, if uh, in the first, second or third round will not want to be seeing Nick across the net because he's in that kind of form and he's got that self-belief. But um, as always, it's going to come down to can he contain his composure and manage his energy levels and his emotions for long enough. If he can do that, he can cause a really big impact on on Wimbledon this year. How are the tennis authorities at Wimbledon, are they going to be different from anywhere else on tour? If if he's got any antics, will that be frowned upon, or will he be treated more harshly here at Wimbledon than, say, anywhere else? They'll they'll assign the most experienced umpire they can find, Um, and they they would have had that worked out already. They'll they'll have um, a list of players that they know that they need the best and most seasoned umpires they can get, whether it's James Kjothavang or someone like that. Um, who And they'll find someone that they know that Nick has some kind of um, empathy with, that, they, that the umpire and Nick actually get along okay, as strange as, it's, as it, it appears from the outside, but they, they, that's what they do. And, um, you know, they, we've known even Rafa has asked that, that um, certain umpires not be put on his match because of what it brings to the... I guess the whole dynamic, but um, they will. They, but if he if he steps out of line, they'll smash him for sure, um, and that's that's what happens across the board. And you know he's he'll be on watch for them, um, much like back in the day John McEnroe was. Um, you know, just it's almost a case of let's expect the worst and and proceed from there. But if we get through without an incident, well, that's a bonus. He's not on his lonesome here, though, because Benoit Paire is a serial offender. Uh, Alexander Zverev isn't fantastic either. And we saw young Holger Rune there mm. recently at the French Open uh, have a bit of a meltdown and throw his own mother out of the uh, the player's box. So, uh, yeah, we, we just shouldn't be singling out Nick. There are other players Absolutely. that violate these rules as well, Leo. Well, Medvedev, he kicked his own coach out of his match um, in the final at the weekend. So... Um, uh, you know he's he can go down that path as well. But there's um, uh, Shapovalov from Canada. Um, mm. He's developing a reputation on and off the court. Um, off the court at Queens this week, he was unhappy because um, it's an ATP event at Queens. Um, he's got his, um, a girlfriend who's on on the uh, women's tour, and he wanted uh, her to be able to practice with him ahead of her playing Wimbledon qualifying at Queens, and wasn't happy when he was told well, that those practice courts are actually here for this tournament and um, so he's got getting that reputation so there, there are lots of players out there and um, we've seen that a couple of women's players as well that um, would also come under notice but mostly on the men's side and um, I guess because of his ranking now world number one Medvedev gets a lot of the prom- uh, the prominence and um, attention but um, yeah Nick Nick will be closely watched at Wimbledon but uh, he that won't be one little bit of a surprise to him. 
And uh, Leo, just before we get on to uh, Royal Ascot, I mean, uh, just recently over here, a fairly forgettable event is the Logies um, that was held down the Gold Coast. <laughs> and I'm not uh, asking you about uh, who you thought was going to win the Logies, but Bruce McAvaney, a fellow South Australian, elevated to the Hall of Fame. And uh, what do you think of uh, sort of when you hear the name McAvaney in your game, what do you think of? Yeah, I tend not to think of Logies when I think of McAvaney, <laughs> but... Um, he is um, he is a legend and has been you know uh, his career started I think it was 1978 and um, I remember him early days uh, calling football in South Australia with um, uh, the great late departed Robert Oti and um, you could just feel his enthusiasm and and preparation in everything he did and um, it's just incredible you you turn up at an event um, and Bruce was at the tennis or whatever and. You knew that if he, if there's a pecking order with Bruce, it's probably athletics, racing, AFL, mm. and that's probably splitting hairs. But um, tennis wasn't sort of like what you felt was like native to him. But sure enough, you're sitting there and um, there'd be a question. Oh, do you remember when so-and-so did this and missed a backhand down the line and it was his eighth break point on something or other? And it's Bruce just off the top of his head. And I've seen him go live with things, uh, no notes. Uh, the preparation was just immense. And... He deserves all the accolades he gets because he has worked so hard, an incredible talent. You put those two things together and um, if you're lucky in a generation, you get a Bruce McAvaney. Leo, just one final one about Wimbledon. The pressure on Novak Djokovic. In 2021, he won the Aussie Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, then he lost the US Open final to Daniel Medvedev. So there's three now Grand Slams that Novak has gone without a victory. And Rafa has won two of those. And he's leapt ahead as, the, as far as the, the most overall title race goes. So $1.80 favourite here. He would feel as though this is the one that he should win. I think so, yeah. And um, he's so well suited to Wimbledon. Um, and it was, it was interesting to read some of the comments about him uh, recently about how precocious he was. And no one really saw it because... When he first came on, he won the, the Australian Open around 2008, and then the, you know the Federer was right at his peak, and then Rafa, and he was, as someone said the other day, third wheel for a long time. But now he's so clearly uh, the best player in the world on grass um, of the available uh, players there, and he'll go there feeling that yeah, this is the opportunity. Um, denied playing at the Australian Open this year, played really well um, at the French, uh, but now Rafa is 22. He's on 20. Um, this is a huge one for him, and I, I think that uh, he'd be inhuman if he, he wasn't thinking about the historical side of it. Um, but he'll go there with all the usual you know, little procedures that he follows and everything else, and um, he will use that pressure. If it's hostile, um, hostile or it's positive, he will use that pressure to his advantage. He is so good at, at channeling any kind of emotion that comes his way. Oh, sorry, Leo. Yeah, I was just uh, looking at some replays of the uh, racing from Royal Ascot. Still staggers me the number of horses that they've got in each of these uh, each of these uh, races. But the highlights for you out of the Royal Ascot meeting? Oh, Nature Strip. Um, uh, just the, the ability of Chris Waller to travel horses. He probably should have won. Uh, not probably should have won. He should, uh, Brazen Bow was very unlucky not to win at Royal Ascot several years ago. But that was fabulous. Artorias' run as well, uh, away from Australian perspective. Um, when we look back on history, we'll, we'll think about Aidan O'Brien as being just a, 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 one of the freaks of the sport, uh, even with all the resources behind him. He's only 52, yet he's been leading trainer at Royal Ascot 11 times already. Um, Ryan Moore, um, he's, he's now champion jockey nine times. Um, so for me, it was just like those performances, um, Holly Dore winning a race there and then going on to win the French Oaks on Sunday at, at, at Chantilly. 
Um, it, it was just fantastic to see the crowds back there, unrestricted mm. crowds, um, brilliant weather. Um, I guess um, the, the, this will open the door now for more Australian horses going up there. Um, and um, with Artorias running so well, um, Home Affairs probably was his own worst enemy. But we'll see several horses out of that carnival. And I guess it all depends on negotiations um, coming down to race in and staying races in Australia. And um, we might even see a, you know, a sprinter um, heading down to Australia too for, uh, from Godolphin. Uh, they place their horses so well. But it was just great to be able to watch that carnival with people there enjoying themselves. And um, hopefully you know, that's going to be the case around the world um, sooner than later. And Leo, do you think State of Rest will be back now to defend his Cox Place title after success there with the Prince of Wales Stakes on the weekend? Yeah, Joseph is is thinking about it and planning. Um, there are some trainers from Britain who just simply won't go down to um, at least Victoria because of um, the the restrictions there and what needs to happen in terms of the horses' fitness and the different scans they undergo. But State of Rest endured, uh, you know, probably the most extreme end of that last year and still came out and won and. When you think about this horse, he's, he's by a sprinter, a Star Spangled Banner, and he's um, now won four Group 1s in four different countries. Um, just amazing. And uh, for him to win, although it's only a five-horse field, he beat um, some very, very good horses, obviously, and um, love to see him go back down there and try and win it again. And uh, Leo, a man who we have on the show a lot, who's incredibly impressive, is heading your way, Greg Carpenter. He is, yeah. He's coming up in a, uh, in a senior role, um, to um, work in um, racing product. Um, so that will go across a number of areas and um, a big move for Greg mm. and um, he'll be sorely missed. He's one of the very few people who have handicapped uh, a Melbourne Cup. Um, I imagine um, that will be one of the most coveted jobs uh, at Racing Victoria going forward. But um, yeah, he'll be an asset um, for the Hong Kong Jockey Club and uh, as he has been for Racing Victoria and previous, previous to that, Western Australia. So um, it'll be great to see Greg when he gets up here. Uh, the unfortunate thing for Racing Victoria, you can't replace him, Leo. There is just no one <laughs> that can do the job. Well, there's in my case, there's a certain lack of ability in those areas, but in, in others' case, it's, it's like he is a very, very big um, uh, mandatory place down there. So that's going to be a massive challenge for Racing Victoria, but I'm sure they'll find someone who does a great job. Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure, mate. We'll chat next week. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Leo. Leo Schlink there.